Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Resolutions Podcast, where we like to turn difficult topics into helpful conversations. I'm your host, Chris Campbell, along with our co-host, Michael Gum. Hello, friends. Well, Michael, here we go. We are once again recording in remote fashion today. Yep, that's become the new norm. It is. It is. You and I have not sat in the same studio uh, for a long, long time to do these podcasts. Part, partly because I spit all over the place when I talk, and it's just a very unsafe... <laughs> It's also a small room, so that's probably not helpful either. Yeah, we're doing our part. But, uh, you know, as we record, it's January 2021. January 1st came and went without any sort of magic. You know, we we didn't wake up to find that 2020 was was all a dream. (laughs) That's that's true. Our challenges that we face nationally and globally are still very much present. And uh you know, as we record today, there is a lot of unrest here in the in the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I try to I try to really monitor my media intake, the news, and so forth. But uh, if we chose to, we could spend hours talking about just the events of the last twenty four hours from a geopolitical, socioeconomic, or social justice crisis perspective. We could. But I don't know. We, we maybe would just be adding to the noise there. Honestly. I know. I know. So we are putting together a great series of episodes. Michael, you and I thought it might be helpful and fun to talk about music. Yeah. So today we have three special guests who are going to talk about the importance of music in life phase development, specifically with children. We're going to hear from a certified music therapist who received uh, a first-of-a-kind degree from a major university and how music is applied to people who are hospitalized with sickness or even facing the end-of-life transition. And finally, we're going to have a seasoned worship leader talk about how music facilitates spiritual health and wellness in a corporate setting. Uh, And they're going to probably elaborate on why is it that Christians believe worship is so is such a critical aspect of their walk with God. So before we go there, let's let you and I uh, get a little personal with with music and and the meaning of music in our in our own lives. I I got a question I'm going to pose uh, to you here. Uh, What are some of the earliest songs that you can remember learning and singing as a child? Well, I mean, I took piano lessons. That was what I, what I started out with. So it's this whole book of like public domain songs and like Mary had a little lamb, whatever, but it's got different lyrics just to, to make it more quote unquote interesting. Um, but I don't know when I think about learning songs that, that actually connect with me, I think it was more when I started learning guitar. Um, and the first song I learned on guitar because my dad taught me was China Grove by the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I, you know, when I when I think of uh, early songs that I learned as a kid, um, my I remember my mom just singing around me all the time. My dad did too, but my I remember Itsy Bitsy Spider. All right, and yeah. all that you know, yeah, yeah. And and one of the more morbid songs uh, that I don't even know if they teach kids anymore was London Bridge. Have you ever heard that song? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> like it is a morbid song about a catastrophe. <laughs> uh-huh. It's it's weird how many how how many kids songs are like that because you know Ring Around the Rosie is about the plague. Yeah, like, I know, I know. It's like 
Dwight Schrute approved, you know, <laughs> songs here and stuff. But, uh, but, but in all fairness, yeah, like Jesus loves me. That's a common childhood oh, yeah. song that we probably learned. I sing that to my kids all the time. Do you really? I do. Yeah. Before bed. That's cool. Uh, my mom and dad, like your parents, maybe not your dad's such an accomplished musician, but, um, but we both come from families that, you know, basically had a, a soundtrack, mm-hmm. you know, to, to what we grew up with. Um, my parents were, were big fans of gospel music. My parents traveled in a, in a gospel music uh, quartet of sorts for a while. Uh, when I was a kid. Uh, but uh, I, I, you know, all of this is to say that that music has not only been an interwoven aspect, a part of the fabric of our lives, but um, you'll find, I believe, throughout history that music plays a unique role in humanity. Mm-hmm. And our first guest today touches on this aspect and goes deeper into the role of music as a way to help children grow and break down ethnic and social barriers even. Uh, Greg Genter is the director and founder of the Piano Express located just outside the DC Beltway in Loudoun County, Virginia. Greg is a unique hybrid of a trained musician, an entrepreneur, and a theologically trained thinker. Greg graciously took the time to connect with me and talk about life and music. Here's our conversation. I went Pensacola Christian College and uh, I got a degree in music there Um, after my degree in music I came home and I did not want to work with public school I wanted to be independent I wanted to work for myself and so I sat down and and started waiting tables and I was gonna wait tables until I had enough piano students to support myself well I went nine months waiting tables and I went from zero students to five students (laughs) Nine months, but uh, eventually the the number started to go. I I landed one of one of my big breaks in my early career. I landed a a, a gig playing the piano at Nordstrom's. So I was suddenly I was I went from waiting tables to playing live music at a mall for thirty hours a week. Instantly, people trust. I was the same person, but people would c- pick up my card and be like, "Well, <laughs> the mall trusts you, so I will." Too. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll all right, I started. I went from five students to forty students in two months. Wow! Um, and I got I got to the point where I was just all of a sudden like really busy. I was playing the piano in the morning, teaching lessons at night, and I realized that I was driving and and I was driving door to door. I was going to people's houses. Yeah. Um, but I figured out like early as a t- teacher, I was like I was saying the same things to everybody. This is a line. This is a space. That means that you go from here to here. This is a line and that's a line. That means you go from here to here, right? And I was like, I, I, I kept thinking if I could just bring all these kids together for, and, and have them live at my house for a week, we could cover note reading in one week. Like yeah. I knew that. Yeah. Um, I, was, I realized that I wasn't teaching music. I was teaching language learning. Right. And, and, and I was trying to teach a language the way that we all tried to learn Spanish in high school. It's like, go to class once a week and then you have your homework. Like after six semesters, I was looking around in my classes, like, do any of us speak Spanish? And we're all like, no, 
None of us. This didn't work at all. The people that learn how to speak Spanish are the ones that just moved to Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and live there like foreign exchange students. You can do more in weeks than you can in years if you immerse yourself. And right. so then like it all came together one day where I was like, oh, a summer camp. <laughs> it's like I already I already know how to do like the summer gig, like with all my years at CEF uh, running, you know, backyard Bible clubs and and uh, creating a little program to hold kids together and activities. I was like, I can do something like this with music and we can we can knock out note reading. I'll have kids for five days and after five days, they'll be reading notes and then my piano lessons with them for the rest of the year will be about making music and not yeah. about decoding language. Yeah. But we went from seven campers to 21 campers to 50 campers to 250 campers, you know, over time. And eventually so many people wanted to take lessons with us. I didn't have room to teach one-on-one. -on -one. And so that's when I started having to get innovative with internet tools. And, and it's like, I, I didn't want to teach group piano lessons. I just saw a lot of pitfalls with, with group piano lessons, but I didn't have time to teach one-on-one. -on -one. So then, but I was like, what if a software could do all that dirty work? We could have all these kids come in 30 minutes, plug in with headphones, software, and they can like, I can figure out really quick who's practiced and who hasn't because the software will start grading them. Yeah. And so it's, it's a it's it's good for kids because it gamifies, right? It it, it yeah. makes it a game. They're they're like, hey, I want to get a high score on this song. But for me as a teacher, it's a time management tool. Yeah. I can start getting into what I call assessment right away with everybody. No one has to wait their turn. And I can just kind of float for 30 minutes and help people when they need help. And then the software does the rest. After 30 minutes, everyone's headphones come off. They're, they're playing out loud and we run uh, – a lesson plan. We teach theory and technique at that appropriate level that they're at. And we have different levels. By the end of our first year and a half, we had 150 students that were studying with us every week. And then over the next three years, we slowly grew to about 250. Okay. So that's an incredible storyline. And, uh, and just the way that it unfolds is, is full of innovation. Uh, here's, here's something I'd like for you to talk about. Uh, where you created this it is in one of the more ethnically diverse areas, yeah. I believe, in the East. Yeah. Um, so talk about what that was like as far as, you know, moving beyond the norm of probably what you had growing up in Westmoreland County, okay. the Bible schools that you went to, and here you are in a very ethnically diverse culture creating this music uh, education opportunity. Right. Okay. So yeah, I had a lot to learn because I, uh, growing up, what, what do people believe on the other side of the world about life and how did they, well, how do they make music? What does music mean to them? I had never thought about it because it wasn't part of my life. And then suddenly here I am in Northern Virginia and, uh, and people were coming to me. Uh, a lot of families were requesting that, you know, Hey, can, can my children learn these songs that, we grew up with from our, our our country, and I started getting a lot of requests from from Indian families. the 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 Indian families wanted me to to help their children learn both old cultural public domain pieces that have just been part of old Indian culture, and then they have this booming 
uh, movie industry in India, right. the, the right. Bollywood industry. Right. Right. You teach these Bollywood songs. And um, I think that that, that was the beginning of a, an important cultural bridge. I, I would say that um, our stu- student base is over 50% uh, families from India, uh, maybe 60%. And, uh, and I knew that working with this group of families, I didn't want to feel like there was a big cultural divide. And, and I knew like as the teacher, I'm the leader, I need to take the initiative. And so I needed to learn about their culture and learn about their music and learn about the, and even the, the, the meaning and uh, behind it. And, and I, I studied religion. I have, uh, I, I've, uh, the Hindu religion, I, I've, I've read enough about it that I, I don't sound like an ignoramus if I have a conversation with someone that about, about what, uh, what they believe. And, and just as an extension of respect, every culture has, the like it's lifeblood and it's rooted in things that are very like universal things yeah. that we all agree on. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking of here too, as you're talking is um, human beings tend to express, you know, their, their cultural ethos via music. Mm. I, and I think that's not just a communal thing. I think it's, it's individual, you know, my, my kids are old enough that, uh, the day, you know, they're, they're adults. They, they love doing road trips. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, I, I, I joke, but I've, I've told them, it's like, you learn a lot about your friends when they're in charge of the, uh, of the playlist when you're in a car, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and, uh, because that's the soundtrack to their life that they've mm-hmm. put together. There's, there's something, uh, deeply emotive as well about about music and i love the idea of introducing music to children whether or not they're going to go on and uh you know and be formally classified as a musician or not uh, i just think music education is so important because uh, a child uh knows how to emote but doesn't know how to understand feelings Mm -hmm. and 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 music seems to be uh you know just something that that god has hardwired us with that gives us the capacity to process emotionally to understand even at you know a a very early age with that I, i and as you're talking about different cultures ethnicities and so forth um you know music is one of the ways that that tone is conveyed uh, you know, when you when you work with the the earliest age pupils, mm-hmm. you know, whatever whatever age that is that you'll start working with a kid, uh, a child, a student, um, what what's that like to see them emotionally connect with a piece of music, with a with something that you know, or or a style, you know, that you're that you're teaching them. Okay, it's always surprising, like. Another piano teacher, she wrote a book, a memoir that I bought. Um, it was called Note by Note. I don't remember her her name, but but she kept asking over and over as a piano teacher, watching children, how do they know what they know? Mm-hmm. That was her question that she kept resonating through the book. It's like, how do they know what they know? Like it's, so so the idea is that that was something that it's it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know. the the ability to connect and express to to sound. Yeah, you know, it's 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 built in us, yeah. but it's very 
there's there's a lot of mystery. It's like, how did it get there? And and why is it always working? Why does it work time after time after time after time with children? Yeah, yeah. I, it, so talk, uh, uh, Greg, what's what's it like? I, of course, I've been able to attend, uh, you know, what you guys would call, do you guys call them a recital? anymore than you mm-hmm. get to recital. Okay, yeah. so the recital. Yeah. So, so what's, what's it like, um, for you to see your students perform at mm. a recital? It's, um, <laughs> it's the, to see them perform is very rewarding. It's, uh, it's like the work that they've put into mastering this instrument comes through in a performance. Uh, they're recognized. Um, it's like they have their moment to hear them play, it's, it's, it's great. And, you know, we have students of all different ability levels, commitment levels. We have students that want music in their life because the parents just feel like it'll raise their grades in math. And, you know, they only practice when they come here to the studio and they don't really visit their piano at home. Uh, we have students that, um, if you go on our website, there are some jaw dropping, <laughs> unbelievable students that have come from our studio because uh, every once in a while we just get someone who connects like you said on a soul level at an early age and they just launch into music and we've had um you know we we've started sending some of our students to competitions and so a lot of our students are winning now and uh and so th- and to hear them in recitals you know to he- and and for all the other families and students to hear they're just like oh wow i could like that's what you sound like if you really work hard. <laughs> well, we are going to uh, to to give our listeners an opportunity to uh, to get in touch uh, to find you guys online and and uh, different contact venues. Thank okay, you. so here here's what I'd like to do. Um, I I, I want to give you a few minutes here as we wrap up to talk about um, the intersection of faith and music for you personally, Greg, uh, more than, than being an accomplished musician yourself, you're a, you're a person of faith and belief. And, you know, I, I just, I think it would be great for us to, to listen to how has music influenced your spiritual journey, the way you see the world, the way you do family, et cetera. We've, we've touched on that uh, a bit, but if you would expound on that a little bit for us. Sure. Believe it or not, like being with music as a career has made music very earthy for me. Um, and maybe more than most people because it's my job, Mm -hmm. you know, it's what makes, it's what pays the bills. And so it's, uh, music is not like every time I strike a note on the piano, it's not this the, the ceiling doesn't open up and angels don't come down and sing along with me. And, and it takes a lot of work. Like I have a, uh, some of my jaw-dropping students that they're still studying with me that they want to learn new songs. I don't know how to play these songs. I have to learn them. And so I'm, I'm working at it. But, um, but I do, as, as a Christian, I've had times where I can step back and think, you know, why do we have music? Why is Jubal mentioned in Genesis um, like of all people that were contributing to humanity, we, we would like mention the farmers cause they're feeding people. We could mention like the house builders, the hunters, cause they're like doing real work that matters. But early on the Bible's like, Oh, out of all the humans, this guy was making instruments. He was making music. Let's take precious space on this parchment and, and write that in. Um, 
It's interesting. Um, I, Rich Mullins, who you you know is a Christian songwriter, he's he said that music is uh, the most useless thing in in the world. Like it has no purpose. And he came from a farming family in Indiana. You know, it's like you work so that people can eat. And Rich was like, "No, nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna write songs." <laughs> and his farming family was like, "What?" Yeah. And but. Um, you know, Chris, we have five senses, right? We can smell, taste, hear, see, touch. And there is a lot of mundane with those five senses, you know, but but we have figured out as human beings how to take each one of our senses and just uh, go above mundane into into something that's that's um, amazing, right? Um, and and for our ears, I think it's music. Mm. And and I think that God has given us our senses to help us survive, yes, so we know what's going around us, <laughs> so keep us safe. But also, God wanted us to experience His creation in a way that thrills us from time to time. And, uh, and, and just so we know that He loves us and that He is good. And, and if we didn't have things like music, then we wouldn't know. Like, what kind of God would we imagine that he is if, if we just have our, our senses help us survive and then life is all about survival and there's no thrill, there's no enjoyment? Um, we would think that there was a very uh, angular Darwinian God that has put us here. Okay, good stuff there, Michael. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll have Greg's contact info and more about the Piano Express in the show notes on the Resolutions podcast. Our next guest is Lauren Starkey. Uh, Lauren is a special friend who I've had the privilege of knowing for many years, and Lauren's journey to wellness has so much to do with music. Uh, ultimately, she was given the opportunity to be a part of a pilot group of students pursuing a first-of-a-kind degree and accreditation in music therapy. We pick up on a fascinating conversation with Lauren where she talks about music therapy, therapy in general, and her personal storyline. Okay, so I'm going to give you like a formal definition of music therapy. Awesome. And then I'm going to Lauren's definition of therapy. So if you get on the American Music Therapy Association website, which is where a lot of our researchers are that do the research about music therapy, the formal definition would be Music therapy is the clinical and evidence-based use of music interventions to accomplish individualized goals within a therapeutic relationship by a credentialed professional who has completed an approved music therapy program. So my definition after working in the field for several years, music therapy to me is basically like music and psychology had a baby. And wow. here we are. We have okay. music therapy. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, music therapists are highly trained musicians, but we're also heavily educated in psychology so that we're able to kind of assess responses of the patient to, to the music. Yeah. And then we're able to respond appropriately. Okay. Um, most of the time, music is beneficial, but there are times, especially in behavioral health, where it can be contraindicated, it can cause negative emotions or sometimes even harm to the patient. Mm. So that's where kind of having a trained music therapist come in is very essential because we're trained to walk that patient through those negative emotions or help them process whatever emotion that music has kind of evoked. Yeah. Yeah. So if the, now if the problem is too heavy for us to handle, then we would contact appropriate professionals to kind of intervene. 
Sometimes I will refer to the clinical therapist at our hospital. If things are just a little bit, I'm not comfortable going there and it's not mm-hmm. really my scope of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to be mindful about that. Um, but we basically use music as our tool to meet non-musical goals. So if that's releasing emotion, I might take a song in that kind of helps them process their specific, um, what they're going through in the moment. Yeah. Um, or we might write a song together in order to help them express how they're feeling in a way that they don't have to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, or if they need to move physically, we might work with a physical therapist and encourage movement by playing drums or other instruments or using their fingers on a piano. There is so much to it. I don't even know where else to go. That's is that like you're, you're, you're just really grabbing my imagination as I'm thinking through all of these scenarios and how it's applied, yeah. it's, you know, in positive ways. Um, so what are some ways people respond to your personal care, Lauren? I mean, like, what have you seen? Give us, give us some examples here of what that looks like for you um, personally as a professional. So responses vary depending on the patient, as you know, because you work with patients, you know, every patient is so different with like these little intertwined similarities of just being a human being. Yeah. Um, So some patients respond by listening, eye contact, or maybe just tapping their feet or moving their hands. Then you have other patients that like to talk and discuss after the music and they'll Mm -hmm. reminisce about past events that maybe that music has brought up for them. Mm. That that specific song they've chosen takes them back to a moment when life was a little simpler, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Patients respond by making music with me, playing instruments, singing along, writing songs with me. Uh, There are patients that they kind of want to dig a little bit deeper, but they need something to kind of help them get there. So... Mm. We might discuss song lyrics or musical themes and relate them to current emotions or events in their lives. Um, they more or less want to process their feelings. And if it's easier for them to do so when music evokes them, then I'll, I'll there be there for it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have other patients that they really don't have any words at all, but they have a lot of bottled up emotion or a lot of stress and mm-hmm. they aren't able to discuss it. But as soon as that music hits right, tears start flowing and they release it which it sounds like a bad thing, um, but it's really not. I find that the tears, when they start flowing, then they probably need it. Um, I always kind of pull back my singing at that point and ask and make eye contact with them and say, hey, are you? would you like me to proceed? And typically they're like, please keep going because they need to get that out of them. So really, I guess all in all, responses are unpredictable. Yeah. Um, family members also respond uh, in similar ways. So sometimes it's opposite the family members bawling and then the patient's just laughing and playing a shaker. You just really never know. Okay. So here's, here's the part that's fascinating to me. And and I'd like to get, I'd like to get your opinion on this, especially now with the education you've got and the experience. Um, you know, I think in, I think especially in contemporary modern society, uh, since the, you know, since the invention of the radio, you know, back in the early early 20th century and, and music, uh, you know, number one, it was much more uh, widely available, widespread. You had different genres and so forth. Uh, I think, I think people recognize that, that, um, that, you know, growing up through the 20th century or here in the 21st century, uh, we, we do have much more of an opportunity to create a soundtrack for our lives. And what I mean by that is, you know, there are uh, certain types of music styles, genres, artists, or whatever that the majority of the people out there do respond to. Um, 
you know, and it's, it's amazing how, you know, music has this capacity to take you back. I'm, I'm older now and, uh, you know, on a road trip, uh, my wife will, will dial up a playlist, uh, and we'll listen to that together. And it takes us back to different places. We'll laugh and, and maybe there's a story that comes up that we'll, you know, reminisce about and, and things like that. But, you know, why do you think music has such potential to touch the heart and even unlock the psyche? I mean, like, what is it about music? Well, there's a lot of research about music and the brain. You know, music is one of the only things that lights up every portion of our brain. Mm. Um, music releases dopamine, endorphins. Um, music ignites the, the part of the brain where memory is ignited. Yeah. So all of those things kind of play at play with that. Also, you know, if you remember back in your adolescent years, the personal connection that you had with music, like, I don't know about you, but music was one of my best friends. I mean, mm. I listened, I've, I, I did my own lyric analysis in my bedroom when I was an adolescent, I would read lyrics. And those are the things that really I formed a personal connection with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also played an instrument, so I'd write songs and things. Um, so I think people form an, a personal connection with music and then they also form personal connections with music during different times of their life that takes them back to those times. And like I said, reminds them of a time that was a little simpler or more happy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, I think it's a phenomenon. I mean, like that's the scientific explanation of it, which you just, uh, which you just unpacked really well. A couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I was sitting under the teaching of a, of a really good um, Bible teaching pastor here in the area. And, uh, and he locked into a story in the old Testament. Uh, he's detailing, he's going through sort of the life of, of David. Uh, you know, who would eventually, he was a shepherd boy who would, who would eventually become king in Israel. And he was a musician. He was a musician. He was a shepherd, musician, warrior, a fascinating study, right? <laughs> but, uh, but his entrance into the palace of Israel, into the king's chamber, who was King Saul at that time was really his skill with uh, what you would call the lyre or the harp an ancient instrument and it was his playing that would soothe king saul because king saul as you as you look at it in modern terms you would say that he he really struggled with uh psychosis he was neurotic he had a lot of anxiety and uh and he would call on david and david would play and it would it would set him at ease and so you know you you see that and people can go yeah, like I really, really relate to that. But you can go positive or negative with that, right? And I'd, I'd like for you to talk about how do you dial into helping, uh, you know, a person connect not just with the type of music that speaks to them, but that will help them move into a positive space. What I mean, does that make sense? What I'm asking? Yeah. So like you would do an assessment for a patient. I would do a similar, a similar thing. I would go in, I would get, basically get to know the patient really well. We would talk about their music preferences. I would jot some of those ideas down. Now, if I saw a trend, especially in behavioral health, where they tend to listen to a lot of depressing music and they are depressed, then my next few sessions with them is going to be kind of interesting because I'm going to go in and I'm going to meet them where they're at. I'm not going to take in happy butterflies and flower songs because that is not going to make them feel better. 
Um, whatever they're feeling depression wise, they need to feel, but I don't want them to stay there. Um, so what I'll do is I'll take some songs in that meet them where they are emotionally or how they're feeling. They might be sad songs. And then gradually I will lift that music up a little bit. Mm. Hey, can I play something for you that I learned for you? Mm -hmm. And I will gradually lift that mood up. Now, where it gets tricky is sometimes things that are happy for me or what I think is happy is not happy for that patient. Mm. So that's where I kind of got to gauge their response. Are they smiling at me? Are they playing an instrument? Are they, are they engaged? Are they looking down? Do they still look somber? Mm. Um, another way I would handle that is we educate on that. We explain, Hey, it's, it's okay to feel these feelings and it's okay to kind of sit there for a minute, but we have to learn how to kind of pull ourselves out of that. So how can we do that? So we will build playlists together. We will do it together in, in our therapy sessions and we would start out with a more somber feel and then we'll gra gradually lift that mood and we'll talk about each song and how their mood changes throughout that playlist. So we kind of educate them on how they can do that on their own. How can they use music on their own because I'm not always going to be there with them. Okay. Well, music therapy, as it's, as it's come about being here over the last few years, seems like predominantly it's a crisis intervention tool. Like it's a crisis intervention option strategy, but it's got the potential to be so much more than that. So you've put that to use in the hospital setting where there is a, a limited window you know, of exposure to that, of treatment. I would classify that as crisis intervention. Uh, but, uh, but where do you see music therapy going beyond just the crisis intervention, that, that, that tool that, that healthcare workers can use to help stabilize a person uh, emotionally? What about beyond that? Yeah. Um, so actually, mental health is the largest employer of music therapists. So you'll see them a lot in not in West Virginia per se right now because it's kind of behind the times, but in other areas, they have full-time music therapists employed at their um, behavioral health centers, substance abuse, rehabilitation places. Um, there's a lot of work with autism and special needs and school systems mm. and even private homes. We have a music therapist here locally that does in-homes with kids with autism and special needs and all kinds of different diagnoses. Wow. Um, but I, I see it growing, especially at WVU, um, at least four to five music therapists. It's an 800-bed hospital. Mm. I definitely see it being, because some, some of the patients we see, it's one and done. So you're right, crisis intervention. That person is in a terrible place. They need a little bit of a mood lift. I go in, we build a small connection, and then I go, and I never see them again. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it depends. It varies. I definitely see it growing in West Virginia just because of how many referrals we receive on a weekly basis yeah. Um, yeah. and how much feedback we get from what we do. Yeah. It's an exciting, uh, to me, it's an exciting um, new frontier uh, in mental health. And, uh, and that really does contextualize it uh, just really well. So, you know, Lauren, thank you so much uh, for, for, you know, giving us this commentary today and, and allowing us to take a peek into this, this newly uh, developing, um, you know, avenue of, of treating, you know, mental health issues. Let me ask you this, though. Um, I, I'd like you to yeah. talk a little bit about uh, the intersection of your faith and music. So more than being an accomplished mus musician, you're a person of faith and belief, specifically Christianity. Uh, 
how has music influenced your spiritual journey and the way you see the world, the way you do life, et cetera? So like I talked about earlier, you know, I feel like people build a personal connection with music. Well, I fully believe music is biblical, like you talked about David and Saul. And that's actually how I ended up going to music therapy school. I stumbled onto that story in the Bible and was reminded that music is therapy and it was created for a purpose. Yeah. So at a young age, you know, I was drawn to music, but I think I was more drawn to the fact that music connected me to my creator. And especially worship music for me, there's a special place in my heart for worship. There always has been. As soon as I turn it on, it provides me with a calming feeling and Mm. a joyful feeling and Mm. all the hope that I can feel. That is what I feel when I listen to most worship music. Mm -hmm. But I feel that it provides a direct pathway to my creator and a connection with my creator that I I don't get from anything else for some reason. I don't know if that's um, just what's in me and that's the musician in me. Um, not that I don't get anything from my Bible reading, but I feel that music is just a different outlet. Yeah, yeah. Um, when not only that, but when I'm in a hospital room and I'm with another believer, when I do worship with them, there's also like there's power in two. There's mm. agreement in two people, right? That both believe in Jesus. Yeah. And when yeah. we're in there together, worshiping together, there is a presence there mm. that I cannot even describe and I can't even put into words. Mm. Um, but it also connects me to my patients in a different way. Yeah. Um, music therapy, my faith, worship has changed the way that I view the world because I view the world and I want to be, I want to help. I want to be present with people during their dark times because I know I have something that they don't have and I want to share that with them. Mm. That being music to connect them to their creator yeah, or yeah. however that that looks. Um, but yeah, music has been a huge part of my journey, especially worship music. So some really interesting thoughts there uh, from, from Lauren Starkey. And, you know, Michael, I, I always feel so enriched after the conversations that I have with our guests. Our guests today are no exception to that. And we've saved a, a special surprise for last. Our final guest today that will talk about the aspect of worship in the form of music and song is none other than you, our very own Michael Gum. That's right. Um Michael, you are, you're my worship leader. Uh, you lead worship virtually and uh, as mandates permit in person on a weekly basis. And so uh, let's, let's pick your brain here a bit. Um, how, how did you, first of all, come to work full-time in worship ministry? What's, what's the backstory on that? Well, it's really been a process. Uh, I always knew or, you know, for a long time knew that I wanted to do something with music. Uh, You know, I had a a, really a connection to music early on, um, both just as a listener of music, um, but also as a performer of it. Um, And, you know, I went to school to pursue a degree in recording uh, and, you know, would play music just for my own amusement and entertainment throughout uh you know i got a degree in recording but didn't really see a future in doing that but it was around that time that you know I, that i graduated from recording school that god was really getting a hold of my heart and directing me towards a way that i can use that music for his glory uh, and so i 
began to uh, pursue a career leading worship. Uh, I uh, moved halfway across the country to attend seminary um, in Mm -hmm. Denver, Colorado, uh, graduated seminary, and then got a job right out of seminary full time at a a church out there. Uh, Worked there for a few years, came back to West Virginia, and now I continue to uh, lead worship full time in the uh, the the church that it, that at least since high school that that I that I attended. So uh, it's kind of a weird full full circle kind of moment. Yeah, a really cool trajectory on that. And you know, uh, longtime listeners here, if there is a longtime listener with two seasons, um, <laughs> they, they know that that you and I joke a lot about pop culture, yeah. and uh, and there's there's a lot of, of 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 music innuendos that that come along, you know, with our with our comments and stuff. So so I know that you have an appreciation uh, for good art that's expressed in a in a music genre. But uh, we're going to talk specifically again about worship music and and I'd like for you to to you know elaborate some on how has worship music impacted your life and faith well I think it's it's really in multiple ways uh, you know I think when it comes to worship music I think the first thing that that really you think of is you know is the lyrical content of it because that's what distinguishes it oftentimes as worship music um, learning the hymns of the church at an early age you know it really teaches you about god and about the proper posture of your heart before him mm-hmm. um you know but really th- then even moving on to uh you know my middle school and high school days where i i heard more of the you know more modern worship music uh that that was really i think what was the the soundtrack to uh the shaping of my faith uh, really when i when i was kind of coming into my own understanding of it uh you know songs like uh, the heart of worship by by matt redman um, you sure. know it, was, it it teaches you about you know about repentance uh these songs that i would hear early on in my faith uh really became prayers for me you know i i don't come from a tradition that that employed a lot of written prayers but really that's what these worship songs were they they kind of teach you to pray almost in the same way that uh you know jesus in the gospel of matthew uh was teaching his disciples giving them a a a template of what what a prayer looks like um and, Mm -hmm. and so a lot of those early worship songs, I, I, I think, you know, whether I'm realizing it or not, uh, really became the template for the way that I would pray and the way that I would process my, my, uh, my relationship with God. Um, Man, it's really good. And, and I think it's a great place to start is the personal application of music and how that's expressed in a way that the Bible would consider worship. I love the, the application there of it is an expression you know, of prayer. I, I think that I think that people intuitively move in that direction uh, when the need is great and uh, the words are lacking. Um, you know, I think back to a time when my dad was uh, battling for his life with cancer, and uh, and I remember, you know, you know, walking by his room and it would just be perpetually you know, playing some level of, of worship music, you know, at that, at that time. And I have clients today who, um, you know, that they will, they will, they'll hit a, a serious moment of crisis in their life. And, and it seems like one of the things they intuitively do is 
they will just start to dial in on a local Christian radio station or, you know, YouTube, something that's going to speak their language in song. Um, okay. So how does that, how does that resonate out then uh, corporately? You know, so you're, you're talking about your personal relationship uh, as that's with God, how that ex- is expressed and communicated through music and song. Okay. As the worship leader, how, why why do we worship with song together? Hmm. Well, I think that music is positioned to uh, connect very powerfully with us in in the mental, in the emotional, and in the spiritual, all at the same time. Uh, and I think that's really important because you know when we encounter, you know, our hangups in life, uh, you know, sometimes they're mental hangups, sometimes they're emotional, sometimes they're spiritual. And, you know, one of those aspects of, uh, of our being can really drag the other aspects down if there's something significant enough happening there. Um, so, mm. you know, it's really, it's like, it's like broad spectrum antibiotics, you know, it's, it's mm. covering <laughs> all the bases, uh, yeah. you know, and, 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 in the, in the mental aspect, music can powerfully reinforce good theology or bad theology, honestly. Um, so, you know, you, you know, obviously you need to be mindful about what the worship music that, that you're singing, what, what you're saying, um, because, you know, what, what you're repeating through song is going to get reinforced. Um, now in the, in the emotions and in the soul aspect of our being, uh, you know, we can, we can actually use music to, direct our soul you know you see in the psalms you see david do this Uh, Mm. i'm thinking of you know psalm 103 it says you know he's saying bless the lord oh my soul he's commanding his soul to be a Mm -hmm. blessing to the lord or even psalm 42 and 43 where he's saying why so downcast oh my soul hope in god for i shall praise him again Um, and then finally uh in the spiritual aspect i think that there's something that happens with music that isn't even really discernible in the natural. I mean, I, I think of, there's, there's so many biblical examples of this. There's David ministering to Saul when he's being tormented mm. uh, yeah. by, uh, by a spirit. There's just something that, that happens with, with music. And I mean, and it continues to happen throughout the Bible. There's second Chronicles 20 where the, the worshipers are sent out ahead of yeah, the army yeah. and then the Lord yeah. wins the battle for them. There's Paul and Silas in prison singing yeah. hymns of worship to God. And you know, the, the gates of the, you know, the, well, the chains dropped off of them yeah. and the prison doors opened and prison yeah, doors open was, chains breaking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's, that's all spiritual things that, that you can't see, uh, you know, spiritual battles, angels, uh, that, mm-hmm. that are being stirred up through this worship music. And, you know, I, I think so, we just get so caught up in what's going on in the natural that we, that we don't even think about that. There's something even greater than ourselves. That's, that's happening through, through this, that, that can happen through, through this worship music. Michael, that's really good. Good stuff. Let me ask you something. Um, Talk to me because you have a seminary degree. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what specifically do lyrics, you know, add to, you know, just the instrumental aspect or the vocal cues of music, of melody. Well, I think that it's it's really important that that we're mindful of 
of what we're singing because you know it it can re- reinforce theology good or bad uh because it's you know really what it is is uh functional theology i mean you know you're not singing a theology textbook you're singing uh, you're you're expressing you know prayers to god that are based in your theological understanding of who he is and what he does mm-hmm. um so so it you know it, it naturally flows out of that um you know but certainly uh, throughout the history of the church that was understood. I mean, I, you know, I, th- I think of, you know, theologians, pastors, you know, people like, like Martin Luther that, that mm-hmm. also were hymn writers uh, that, that were trying to, you know, to, to teach something about, uh, about the faith through music. Um, and so, so it's really, I, th- I think that it, that it's importance can't be, can't be understated. Um, but then there's also, I think there, there's a balance there because there's, you know, there's certainly, uh, a place for those songs that are just packed full of information, but there's also just simple crying out to God, um, that may just be expressing one simple thought, uh, but it, if you do that with the right musical underscore, it can be equally as, as powerful. Um, you know, and I, I think there's really tremendous value in, in simplicity, um, when really in those moments that really only one thing needs to be said, like, Lord, help me or Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. Um, mm-hmm. or, you know, God, you're so good. You're so good to me. Like they're mm-hmm. just, they're, mm-hmm. those are those are powerful prayers, you know, because they're, they're prayers that if you sing them from, you know, from the bottom of of your spirit, that, that they can, they can move mountains, you know? So um, well said, let's, let's hit one more point here that I thought was really good. Uh, You know, as you and I were touching base about previously before we hit record here anyway. And that is, uh, there's a really interesting uh, passage of scripture in the Bible that not a, a lot of people know about, but it talks about God's singing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, talk, talk to us about God and him actually singing. Yeah, uh, it, it comes from Zephaniah 3. Uh, there's a verse in, in Zephaniah 3 that says that that God rejoices over us, that he uh, that he sings over us so with, with loud singing, you know, it's not, it's not like a, like a little lullaby that he, that he's singing to us, but it's loud rejoicing. Uh, and, and it's just, it's a, it, it's such a beautiful picture. It's, it's something that, you know, I, I would really encourage our listeners to, to just take some time to think about because, I mean, it almost tells you all you all you really need to know about God, because here's you know here's a God that you know depending on our our picture of who He is, you know we can have a tendency to think that He's perpetually disappointed with us, or that He's you know got His finger over the smite button uh, <laughs> on His heavenly keyboard. Um, but here is a God that that loves us so much that. Uh, that it just stirs him up to sing. It's like that, that musical theater, that Disney moments where, you know, he's just so overcome with emotion and love that he just breaks into song. Um, now that's, that's God's love for us. Uh, you know, we, we can spend as much time as we want talking about, you know, what, how or why we sing to God, but maybe we should be asking, why does God sing over us? Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, 
And I think becoming more and more dialed in or tuned in to God's voice, there's something spiritually that we can pick up on that maybe the natural ears can't Mm -hmm. at times. You said a Disney moment. Um, If you've ever been to Disney World, you know that you cannot step foot anywhere in that park without there being a music soundtrack that is setting the tone that is raising excitement. That is just, you know, it's just a part of the ethos of the magic kingdom. And, uh, and I think we get that creativity on a horizontal level from a deeper sense of what's happening in the spiritual realm. I I think that's, I think in many ways, you know, that is exactly something that originated from God that, that just echoes throughout his kingdom. And I think that's just such a, such a perfect, perfect point there that you make uh, with being awakened to the idea that, you know, God ministers to us musically, even singing over us. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a reflection of heaven with what you were saying, because, you know, just fast forward to Revelation 4 and 5, there are creatures around the throne of heaven singing uh, worship to God night and day. Um, yeah. so there, and, and music is throughout the entire Bible. It's not just in the Psalms. It's from beginning to end, going back to, to Moses and all of the prophets prophesying through song. Uh, you know, there's, there's songs in the historical books of the Bible. I mean, when, when was the last time that you opened up a history book and there's somebody singing a song and it's not a music history book, just history right. of the world. Right. Uh, you know, right. Hannah singing, uh, when, when God blesses her with a child, Mary singing, uh, when, yeah. when the angel tells her that, that she will give birth to Jesus. Yeah. Uh, there's, yeah. there's the song of Solomon, uh, which yeah. is its yeah. own category of, yeah. uh, of literature. Um, you know, there's the apostle Paul, uh, encouraging the church at Colossae to, to encourage each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs like there's a soundtrack to the entire bible um and you know i know that not everybody is a musician not everybody is a singer but i think that there's there's really something to it and even if you're if you don't consider yourself to be a very good singer um you know you can at least sing in the shower i guess uh you know it, it doesn't you know it doesn't need to be where, where where someone else can hear you if you're self-conscious about it but uh just try singing a song of worship every now and then if you don't already and and see what it what it does for your soul yeah i and uh that is such a such a good word michael and maybe maybe a good place you know for us to be able to to push pause and and trust that this conversation today is going to be something that is catalytic and ultimately helpful to our listeners. And so uh, maybe by way of, of summarizing, you know, I think we want to encourage our listeners to be mindful of, uh, you know, helping our children understand the preciousness of music and how uniquely, uh, you know, um, how uniquely human uh, that is in the way that it's incorporated into our lives. Even, you know, we see that throughout nature, you know, with the tones and the, and the melodies that are there, but for us to, uh, you know, to engage that, you know, being made in the image of God, uh, that is something that God values. And we hope that Greg Genter's thoughts and uh, his insight will inspire uh, not just parents and grandparents, but it's never too late for you to learn a little more about music 
and how to apply that to your life. And we also hope that listeners today have been encouraged, you know, as far as uh, adding music as a basic supplement to their overall health and the power of music uh, to counsel and to provide uh, good therapy for the soul. And I know that some of Lauren Starkey's insight there uh, has been incredibly helpful uh, to me on a personal level. And again, uh, we're going to have some links in our show notes uh, for listeners who want to, to take that further. And then maybe for, for listeners who, uh, for the first time, maybe they're understanding more of the value of organized uh, church, you know, of why is it that Christians, uh, you know, gather together on a weekly basis and we, we come together and sing. And, and maybe you're a person who you say, I'm tone deaf. I can't really sing. I can't really relate to it. And so you're one of the folks who hang out in the foyer until the music is done. And then you come in for the teaching, or maybe you come late to church. So you don't have to, to be in that setting. Maybe we've provided a little more information today uh, that's going to give you the motivation that you need to, to step in there and try something new. Uh, the beauty of singing in a collective group is sort of like picking up sticks out of your yard in the springtime. Uh, you know, the, the sticks that fall out of a tree the twigs, the small branches, they're as crooked as can be. But when you start gathering them together in a bunch, it sort of looks like they're all straight. Hmm. <laughs> and when people come together and sing together individually, yeah, there may be uh, some flats and some sharps there that are not quite on, but there's something wonderfully harmonizing about a group of people who are singing the truth out of a confession of faith and there's a supernatural meeting there that happens between God and man. And so, Michael, thank you for your comments and insights today. And uh, with that, we're going to close out. So if today's episode has been encouraging to you, please spread the word. Uh, we are going to be, again, back on course of unrolling new episodes on a biweekly basis. If you've not subscribed to this podcast, why not? Be sure to uh, subscribe on your listening platform of choice and spread the word to others. Get on there. And if you would leave us a favorable review, we are here to provide uh, this service free of charge in the hope of encouraging as many people as we can, taking difficult topics and turning them into helpful conversation. And so until next time, this is Chris Campbell. This is Michael Gum. And we hope you'll join us back here for the next episode of the Resolutions Podcast.